0: Hello, it's Richard Herring here. Welcome to my podcast feed, powered by Acas Plus, and my stand-up tour is about to begin. Can I have my ball back? First stand-up tour in six years. Many of you just know me from the podcast. Don't know? I've done fourteen or fifteen stand-up tours in my own right. I'm a brilliant stand-up comedian, and can I have my ball back? I think it's my best show ever. That's what the audiences are saying. It's about testicular cancer, but it's funny because testicles are funny, even though cancer isn't. Uh, I'm really pleased with it. I'd love you to come and see it. Bring your friends. Some of the show's selling really well. Some of them selling really badly. It's a traditional Richard Herring tour. But here's where I'm going to be. 2nd of May, Thursday, at the Luton Hat Factory, It's a small venue, but there are still tickets left. 3rd of May, I'm at the Berry Hedge End, which is near Southampton. That's looking more full, but still some availability. 8th of May, I'm at the Leicester Square Theatre. There's about 10 tickets left for that one, though I am back at the Leicester Square Theatre in June. And then I'm at St Albans on the 9th, Gloucester on the 10th. Chorley Little Theatre on the 11th. That's sold out, but you can join the waiting list. And then the 12th of May, I'm at Glasgow. Afternoon show sold out evening show, extra show, put on, still with tickets. And then there's lots more. Go to richardherring.com slash tour or richardherring.com gigs. And now, enjoy whatever podcast I've given you. It's free. It's all for you. If you want to pay me back, buy a book. Come and see a show. That's all I've got to say to you. Love you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's going to turn this car around for any time now. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Oh. You're much better than last week's audience. But what you don't know is last week's audience is a different audience because we're putting them out in a different order. So the joke's on you. And... Actually, you're nowhere near as good. <laughs> welcome to... You can, you can make up for it now. Uh, you, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was talking to Zuni the Lazoon and Steve Zodiac from Fireball XL5 the other day. A TV series from 1962, five years before I was born. So this one's really testing... I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly around the universe. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it's uh, an early Jerry Anderson cartoon. Zuni's good, you should look out for Zuni. They call it Rallist. <laughs> and I expect they call it Exulf as well. Uh, so I, was, uh, I, was, I went to uh, Pizza Express uh, this week uh, <laughs> with my family. We go a lot, uh, and, uh, but we were taking the whole family, and I booked it. It was uh, the, the one in Welling Garden City. You, don't, you never need to book the one in Welling Garden City. The one in Hitchin, in yeah, Sunday lunchtime, you need to book Welling Garden City. Don't worry, no one ever goes there. I think it's a front for some drugs or something. Uh, you know, probably can't say that due to libel laws, but it is uh and uh, my son though i booked it and my son went i want to go to mcdonald's he's five years old we said we're not going to mcdonald's i've already booked to go to pizza express and he had a proper meltdown right he had a meltdown he was crying i want to go to mcdonald's i want to go to mcdonald's my wife is going well let look we can't go he's having this meltdown we're not going to go anywhere so we have to go because otherwise he went if we don't go to pizza express he's one uh and it went on we drive started driving it's a 20 minute drive to wellingarden city we were driving, he was still going, I want to go to McDonald's. I said, look, if you know, don't say you want to go to McDonald's again, uh, next week I will take you to McDonald's. But if you say I want to go to McDonald's again, we're not going to go to McDonald's. He said, I want to go to McDonald's. He was playing it. He said it a lot more. Uh, I got, you know, it's very difficult being a parent. And I and I'd like to see my kids as hecklers. Uh, and if you, lose, if, you, got to, if you lose your temper with a heckler, you've lost, right? But I completely lost my temper. Uh, I said, I'm going to turn this car around. If you don't sharp, I'm going to turn this car around. And I, we got to a roundabout, and I went round the roundabout, and I started going back home again. I knew there was another roundabout we could turn around again. But I was, but I was driving, like, sort of angry. It's very, it could have taken the whole lot of us out, to be honest. And we drove around, we came back, and he was still going, I want to go to McDonald's, and he's crying. My wife is going, we have to go home, he's not going to stop crying. We got to, well, yeah, I'd see. he, was, he went, walked past the McDonald's. He didn't see it, thank God, but he was still going, I want to I go to McDonald's. We got into Pizza Express. He went, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. Sat down there, didn't cry. He'd literally cried for an hour and a half. Once he got there, yeah, fine, I'll have dough balls. <laughs> <Fucking> prick. <laughs> absolutely but I became that, you know, I never thought I'd be the dad. He's going, if you don't shut up, I'm going to turn this car around. Right! <laughs> it's amazing any children grow, get old enough to be adults, isn't it? Cause, you know, the number of the number of families that must have been wiped out in a car accident. <laughs> must be a lot, mustn't it? <laughs> right, now, uh, my guest this week... Uh, it's probably best known for being a writer on Rob Rinder's Good Year, Bad Year. Though he's not just a writer, he's also appeared in When TV Animals Go Horribly Wrong. <laughs> so I'm presuming he's like a, you know, a vet programme. Just opening up bouncer from neighbours, finding out it's got liver cancer. And I can think of no better introduction. <laughs> Please welcome Ishan Akbar, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Oh, I'm giddy. I'm, I'm in a giddy mood again. I'm in a giddy mood. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Oh, we're well, delighted to have you. What was uh, Rob Rinder like to write for? Was he a, <coughs> he a good guy? Well, actually, I didn't quite write, write for Rob. I oh. wrote for a comedian who was doing the show. Ah.
1: Um, a comedian called Tezilias. so I wrote for him. I, know, uh, I met Rob, actually, at, uh, at the recording for yeah. Good Year, Bad Year, and he was fine.
0: Yeah. It's good to get it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, nothing Best nothing friends with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Was Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch around? He wasn't, unfortunately.
1: No, no. Uh, it was just, just Rob and Tez, and Rob was, you know, fine. Nothing, yeah. nothing, <laughs> nothing more. I keep saying fine like it's an insult. <laughs> I? What I mean is there was nothing interesting to report. And so,
0: um, what yeah. about uh, TV animals go horribly wrong? I loved doing that show. Yeah. Like,
1: I, when I started doing comedy, I had no ambitions really to become a comedian. It right. just, this just happened by mistake. I'm here by mistake. Yeah. But I always dreamed of doing shows like TV animals do the stupidest things and right. <laughs> football's funniest moments because I used to watch them at Christmas all the time. Yeah. I, was, I was like, it was always to be quite nice to actually uh, do them. And then I realised they do it all in front of a green screen. <laughs> didn't realise that until I wow. did them. So uh, that was fun to do. Yeah. There was a goat that spat on a man.
0: I'd someone say that's horribly wrong. I mean, horribly wrong, yeah. you know, like a goat that bites a man's face off.
1: Well, yeah, I know, but right, precisely. Yeah. Um, what else did we have? We had, we had a horse that kicked a man.
0: Yes. Basically, a lot that's of bad right. things happen to men. Which, did, if you're did a woman you you're probably do quite happy the elephant from Blue Peter doing a poo? Yes, there was oh, that, yeah. And good. there
1: was someone on, there was a, was there, wasn't there a, a dog or something? No, a pony.
0: Yeah. Was it a pony? That did know. a shit on Good Morning Britain or something. Oh, was it? I don't know all the animals that have done yeah. shits on TV. <laughs> I, Not to like be fair, I'm I am the I am the expert. You, so. You're the expert. You've been, I've never been on TV, animals go <laughs> Well, that's uh, very good. That was, that was all I wanted to talk to you about. Thanks for coming in. No problem. <laughs> it's all been very good. Uh, it, it's in, you've, the, as you say, this is an, an interesting career trajectory for you. You've done quite yeah. a lot of different things, but you were working as a Banker mainly is that right? Yes. Until, sort of until the, the the banks all went wrong. Yes. So <laughs> was that your fault? Is uh, that why you had to stop working there? In a very small
1: way, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I, I was I was a private banker to celebrities. So I did like uh, wealth management to loads of famous people, footballers, actors, actresses, a couple of comedians who shall remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: and. Um, you know, I was like 21, fell into the banking world a bit, did the job, and then by 2008, um, I was like, oh, A, I'm not very good at this. Uh, and B, it's just I just didn't want to do it. So when the financial crisis happened, in, in a weird kind of way, it was quite a quite a cool thing to happen. because yeah, it made me think of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I kind of fell into... I've fallen into everything I've ever done. Yeah. I've never really had a plan. Like when I was six years old, I remember in primary school the teachers asked us what we want to be when we grow up, and all the kids like I said plumber, uh, fireman. One person said he wanted to be an imam. Okay, it was quite a weird ambition that one. <laughs> and I said I want to be an ambassador. Oh. And everyone beat the shit out of me <laughs> because like I had uncles and friends who were ambassadors, and I thought that was the thing I wanted to do. But when I, I read <laughs> economics university, ended up becoming a banker. Left banking, became a government policy advisor. Left that, became a speechwriter, and then found comedy. And nine years later, I'm on Real Lester
0: <laughs> My life is fucking weird. <laughs> you also worked as a choreographer for Bollywood and Bollywood I was, films? Is, I that was right, a, is that right?
1: I true? was a Bollywood dance choreographer part-time. <laughs> uh, it it doesn't a... sound like a part-time job. it like, It's <laughs> like a full-time job to it, me. It paid terribly. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, was, I started kind of, basically... I was like the fat kid who danced at weddings, (laughs) aged eight eight and nine. And people were like, actually, you're pretty good at this. Do you mind teaching my son something for his wedding or whatever? And then it kind of grew. And by the age of, like, 18, I had a dance troupe of eight boys and eight girls. For some inexplicable reason. And I cannot believe this. We were called the Blue Badges. The Blue Badges. (laughs) And there was no one disabled. (laughs) And... (laughs) None of us realised what it meant. <laughs> so the blue badges were going all over the country uh, doing these Bollywood dance performances. And then when I was uh, kind of 20 years old, I wanted to go to India and do it professionally.
0: Yeah.
1: And my parents said no, <laughs> basically. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I've not done dancing. The last time I did a dance was actually in December last year. I did on another podcast called Have a Word. Uh, we, we did a Bollywood dance to 10,000 people at the m and Bank Arena. Wow. And that was, uh, it was fun to get back to do it. Yeah. But I also realised I cannot do it anymore, I'm too fat. <laughs> also, I've learned recently, do you know, I don't think I know how to wear trousers properly. Right. Because, I mean... How are you wearing it? OK, because well, you've got a bit of a belly, if you don't I mind my little, saying. I have a
0: little bit of a belly. Yeah, and I've got a belly. Yeah.
1: Now, the thing is, is, the most comfortable place for me to place my belt is above the belly button. Right. But that's too high. Yeah. So then the next bit is, like, on the belly button. Yeah. But that's not secure. (laughs) So it slides down. Yeah. The obvious place is to put it, like, just under the belly. Yeah. The tightest place. But then my belly hangs out. Yeah. So I feel a bit weird about it. Yeah. And I've just realised, in my late 30s, in the last week... I actually don't know how to wear my trousers properly.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, uh, where do you wear your trousers? Well, I've, I've been having a problem. I've actually put on weight. I would say in the last two or three weeks, right? So I've because I've, right. I've not been exercising because I've yeah. been ill. Uh, Just and, in the last two three weeks. Yeah, I, and I was putting. I was, put, <laughs> I was putting. On, I was putting on weight. I love how he tried to slip that in. <laughs> Be- Before that, he was doing Tough Mudder on the weekly. I was doing well. On. I was. I've, I've been putting on weight. I lost a lot of weight. I, I had cancer. Uh, no. oh there we go you're fine now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but then i got decided to get fit so i got quite fit so i lost quite a lot of weight and i gradually did put... the cancer help with the weight loss no okay I gradually um, was... I, I lost like the weight of a testicle <laughs> pretty quickly right but i got quite i was in bed for about a month i got quite fat while i was you know recuperating and then i then, then i went did lots of running yeah and and got and got as fit as i've been for four or five years uh, and I kept up for a bit, and then it's been just sliding, as you love to know. People who watch the videos of this, and you can see the slide, the but I would say in the last two or three weeks, it's got noticeably worse. Right. And, up, and my trousers are now underneath the belly, uh, uh, and, so... and, and fall down all the time. Uh, because I thought if they were under the belly, you could tight, like properly nah. tighten them. Well, it, my, just my trousers, it's been a real problem, my trousers falling down. Yeah. Because... Because I'm, I'm fat, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because I, I, I,
1: I walk my dog, and 50% of our walking is me fixing my trousers. Yeah. And, like, I'll, I've got one of these extended leads for the dog, and sometimes yeah. I'll forget that she's not
0: on full extension, so I'll just yank my dog as <laughs> I pull my trousers up. Yeah. It's quite a w- if poor If you put thing. weights in your trousers, that could become, like, an exercise thing. <laughs> that could be. And then you might actually lose the weight if you... <laughs> All right, now sound like what? my mum. <laughs> put, put ten <laughs> kilos in each pocket. <laughs> just do some exercise, it,
1: and then in my wisdom, I thought—I think it was last year—I decided I'd buy some like those braces things. Oh yeah. Fucking hell! <laughs> I, they just kept pulling my trousers higher and higher because <laughs> because the triple XL, the triple XL braces yeah.
0: aren't—they're not big
1: enough. <laughs> anyway, that's my trouser issue.
0: Yeah. I've, I mean. Since lockdown, I discussed this a few weeks ago. I've been unable to shake hands with people because we did we stopped shaking hands. Right. And now every time I shake hands with someone, yeah, it goes really badly wrong. I've, forgot, you... I've forgotten how to shake hands. I What's, just like go what do you do? in. I'm like, let's try it. It might get, it might be all right because I'm concentrating. Because you're concentrating. Yeah, but okay, let's just put it. Okay. In. Oh I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. When when let, let's not shake hands now because you're concentrating.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll just offer my hand at okay. a random time in the podcast. But
0: a few times I've done like but I've only shake you know, we don't shake hands anymore. It's kind of fallen out of favour. And I've only done it five or six times since since lockdown. And I would say three or four times it's I've grabbed the wrong bit of the hand. <coughs> Uh, oh, is that okay? Yeah. So, like, really, like badly. I mean, it might be the other person. It might be everyone's bad at it. Yeah. So you're going in. It's like going in for a kiss and your nose is bumping. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just going in for a handshake and it just turning into me holding someone's fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've held um, recently. A, it was actually actually it was Ramesh here. Ramesh and
1: Nathan here. Uh, we were doing a gig together and I went to shake his hand and somehow just I just held his four fingers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's all I'm talking about. And then about. he just
1: looked at me and went, why, <laughs> why did you do that? And I went, oh, I don't know, to kiss it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> very it's very a weird. weird thing when it goes wrong. But these are the kind of things that you don't get taught. No. Like no one. Act, there's no lesson on how to, like, wear your trousers properly <laughs> or shake hands properly. You just kind of learn by seeing other people. Yeah. And not everyone does it properly. No. Who right. wears their trousers above their belly button? Give me a cheer. <laughs> oh, oh, the women do because it looks good. <laughs> uh, the, on the belly button?
0: No. <laughs> under the belly button? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like under the belly? <laughs> oh yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. I mean some people don't have a belly. You have to some people don't have
1: everyone's got a bit of a belly. No. I mean your audience. <laughs> These guys. <laughs> I don't know why I'm shit. I can't even see you, to be honest. <laughs> You're right
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> don't choke to death then. Uh, that's good. So well, so how did, how did, after this, so you're a banker, how did that become, you were, was it through you were, you were doing a bit of broadcasting and, you, and someone suggested you become a tryout comedy? What, how, how did it, given you weren't interested, particularly in becoming a comedian. Yeah. Which is sort of interesting, you know, it's interesting that most comedians, I think, like have this calling. Yeah. Not all by any means, but like, you know, yeah. for me, I was four years old and wanted to be a clown, wanted to be a writer, wanted to write stories. I, you know, yeah, as a yeah. teenager, I really wanted to be a comedian. That obviously wasn't grabbing you as you were doing your no, blue I mean, badge dancing.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is, Bollywood does have, to a certain extent, it has a level of, you know, uh, comedy in it. You know, you see a man of my size dancing, that's inherently quite funny, I think. But then, you know, I, I'd always done something on the side of my serious job, and that's something all members of my family did, particularly on my mum's side, you know, irrespective of how serious their jobs were. Like, my, my granddad, for example, he was a barrister, and he helped write the Constitution of Bangladesh. Right, very serious man. Yeah, uh, but he was also like a poet. So he wrote, wrote loads of published poetry in Bengali, none of which I fucking understand. <laughs> but people did that kind of stuff, and I thought to myself, I, I just did it. Um, when I was in banking for a long period, I was in an amateur dramatic society. Uh, it was they were called the Spread Eagle Players. <laughs> Why do I have
0: these weird named things? <laughs> I mean, that's my, basically legs akimbo.
1: Kimbo. Yeah, which again, <laughs> <laughs> it just. It, <laughs> didn't occur to me at the time but nevertheless i I was in there and had a nice time and then (laughs) comedy was just one of those things where i thought i was always like the funny guy in the group and uh, a couple of my friends were like hey maybe you should just do comedy like as a side thing did it as a side thing and within two gigs i just absolutely fell in love with it and i was like oh shit this is great and then i started learning about comedians i didn't know anyone really when i started doing comedy any people i'd heard of were Richard Herring. Yeah, uh, number one. Michael McIntyre, uh, Paul Chowdhury, and Russell Peters. Right. Because he was an Asian comedian, who yeah. like a global icon, and that was it. And I hadn't heard of people I love now, the Bill Burr's, the Dave Chappelle's of this world, and started learning. So in many ways, I think it's worked to my favour because I wasn't that hungry for it in the same way. Yeah. So I was just happy and excited for whatever happened. And whatever happened in the
0: last nine years has been all right. Yeah.
1: I've had a nice time. <laughs> it's going okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, it does go okay. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it's nice to know. You can just waltz into it. <laughs> <laughs> See, i give it a go. Oh, yeah, I'm on TV. Yeah, that's <laughs> hey, listen. We... <laughs> the
1: thing is, what's interesting is whenever I do anything on TV, I get one group of people who say, well, we know why you got that. <laughs> asian bloke fat deaf obviously <laughs> and then there's asians who are like we know why you got that fucking white man sell out like <laughs> and it's just it's just weird i can never make anyone happy but um i don't know i just try and have a nice time and i'm feel very grateful for all the opportunities that have come my way and just enjoy this yeah, it, yeah.
0: but that's interesting phil wang when he's on and and has written a fantastic book about it as well about being you know not Asian enough for, or, or Chinese enough for Chinese people mm. and not English enough for English people. And so, mm. you are you know, you're, you're born in the UK, mm. yep. uh, East London. Yep, East London, uh, Whitechapel. So, uh, but you don't feel, you know, the, you don't feel when you go to... Um, uh, I've forgotten where you are. Your parents are from different places, right? So yeah, so my dad's from Pakistan and my mom's from Bangladesh. Yeah, so yeah. when you go to Bangladesh, you don't feel Bangladeshi. Or they don't, they, you're not Bangladesh yeah, enough for them.
1: Yeah, it's, well, weirdly, when I go to Bangladesh, English was the fourth language I learnt to speak. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to speak English at home until I was about seven years old. Right. So I have a fluent grasp of Bengali, Urdu, Hindi, Punjabi, because of that's just how the world ended up working. And when I go to Bangladesh or I meet Bangladeshi people or Pakistani people in the UK who've just arrived, often they'll ask me how long I've been in the UK, because I just end up becoming super Asian. Like, singing, dancing, right. the whole kit and caboodle. And they're just like, I just want to... calm the fuck down? It's fine. Um, <coughs> and then, um, yeah, but what will happen is British Asians often will police my level of Asianness. I mean, I was oh, right. a presenter on the Asian network for a year and a half. They changed the controller who came in and told me I wasn't Asian enough to be on the Asian network. <laughs> now, if you're here in the audience, you can clearly see... I'm fucking Asian. Do you know what I mean? It's just a weird thing. And I think part of it is because... It might be because of the way I sound. People often comment on the way I speak. Yeah. I don't... I just think it's London. Uh, But people seem to think it's a bone of contention. I don't practice Islam anymore. I used to be quite a devout religious person. Now I'm someone who enjoys his life. Um, (laughs) But... But I, I talk quite openly about that. Um, I have a dog. I go to drag shows. And apparently those things kind of negate me from being Asian, according right. to British Asia. It's a very odd thing. Yeah. Um, whilst at the same time, you know, I've done gigs for people like Lee Hurst okay, uh, in, you know, proper right-wing parts of Kent and Essex, where I've gone on stage and the audience have stopped clapping as soon as I step onto the stage. Right. And won them over. But they started by saying you're not you're not fucking english and i am i can't yeah. be anything but english really i don't really understand it so it's a bit of a weird thing i'm going through a bit of an identity thing at the moment
0: it is but i think from a comedian's point of view it's quite that that's an interesting place to be maybe for, for as a person it's an odd place to be a yeah, yeah, yeah. scary place to be in sometimes but from a comedian's point of view he's feeling like an an outsider and you know where not feeling sort of like at home quite anywhere, or you know, or just feeling like you just having that step back, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Really. Yeah, where you've got to it step back, very... and you could so you can look at both or all cultures. and... But it's, it's not also just
1: that. I think sometimes I think people get frustrated with me. One of your former guests, Rosie Holt, um, I do a podcast with her every week called Non and she once described me as being someone who's infuriatingly untribal. So, what will happen, I'll say things on Twitter. And people have come up to me and been like, oh, my God, you seem like a proper right-wing Tory. <laughs> and I'm like, well, on some issues, I am. Um, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I can feel the tension. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is, I hold really dear to my heart, I hold this idea that I don't want people to come and see me because they agree with me politically. Mm-hmm. Nor do I want them to come and see me because they feel like they have to support an Asian comedian. Um, the things that my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation went through in this in this country gives me the audacity of equality. So I want, to be able to, I want to be seen in the same merits as everybody else. You know, whenever papers write about me, they'll often say, oh, he's like a, a hybrid of Romesh and Nish. Mm. But they'll never say he's like a hybrid of, I don't know, Richard Herring and, yeah. you know, Michael McIntyre. That, that just won't happen. And um, despite the fact that for years my Twitter handle was Michael Packintyre... <laughs> <laughs> which i had to which i had to retire for this tour because my promoters were like you can't be doing (laughs) so yeah it's it's a weird thing and i think like like i don't necessarily subscribe to ideas of like being seen as a person of color i don't like that phrase no and there's a cabal within comedy that seems to really like that and i'm not part of it by the same token i'm not as right wing or free speech as some of the other people but i try and which weirdly, I sometimes feel like I'm a bit of an outsider within comedy. Yeah. And that seems like quite a self-indulgent thing to say, but <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of transpired that way. And I don't know why, but... It, that's But I think, transpired. you
0: know, it's sort of weird. I mean, I think in the old days, a comedian, you know, sort of... Even a political comedian sort of stood outside politics, or at least... I mean, most people as well would, would just... They wouldn't go, I believe I'm left-wing, and so yes. I believe everything that left is You go, well, I think this, and I think that, and... Uh, you know, I, I agree with this here and I agree with that there. They would, they would have an individual opinion about the world, and it wouldn't all have to be in exactly the same box as everyone else. Yeah. And now it has become a little bit like, or the assumption I think is, you know, people are... you know, I'll get you're a left wing comedian. You go, well, you know, I'm I'd probably yeah, if you if you averaged it out but yeah, yeah. The, you know i think this about this i believe in free speech you yeah, know? yeah. So i believe that uh you know that everyone no one should really be sacked off from tv for, for just saying something unless it's illegal yeah. so you know it's it, it's you know it, it it's weird the way it's become sort of so tribal now i suppose so anyone sort of standing outside of that and going well i you know i think this and that it, that should be the norm is what i absolutely what I'm I, mean, I think one of like and i
1: like I said, I hold that quite dear to my heart because I just want to try and be funny over and above everything else. I think one of my happiest moments in my comedy career was in 2016 at the Edinburgh Fringe when I was made the pick of the Fringe by the North London Jewish Chronicle <laughs> and the Daily Mail.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was like, I'm fucking good at this. <laughs> what a lovely place to be. But yeah, it's a, it is a weird thing. I feel nowadays there just seems to be... Well, I say nowadays. I've been doing this nine years, not a very long time, but... It seems like there is this sense that comedians have to be the mouthpieces on socio-political issues, and the lines have been blurred over the last few years, and I just don't want to do that. That's just not my inclination. And so I will say things that sometimes seem a bit beyond the pale or not necessarily conforming to certain left-wing ideologies or whatever. And, you know, I've been dropped from work because people just think that I'm Tory because of what I've said online. And you just think, well... (laughs) Maybe they're jokes, like my, my profoundest yeah, comedian.
0: And the job is to find the funny, you know, yeah. is to find the funny in stuff. So, yeah. you know, that, it is sort of standing back and going, well, I can laugh at this and I can yeah. and take the piss out of this. You know, I think it's sort of it, it, a comedian really shouldn't be so ideologically like nailed down to something that they can't see what's funny about the thing. It's sort of interesting to me that, I mean, we both, you know, we are both brought up in religious households. I think you might have been more religious than mine. Mm. Um, but my parents were both Christians and I, you know, and I did a show in which I sort of just examined why I'd turned to atheism and, and my relationship with Jesus. But you've, you know, you're maybe more <laughs> a bit more boldly, you've taken on the, the Islam and the, the Quran and moving away from, from that faith.
1: Yeah, so my, my second show at the Edinburgh Fringe, I took the Quran on stage and talked about bits I thought were funny and <laughs> didn't make sense and part of the reasons why, why I left, but also things about it that were beautiful. Uh, the show was called Profit Like It's Hot. <laughs> I, was, I was very proud of that title, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I grew up in a household that was religious, that would identify as Muslim, but, again, I had quite a liberal upbringing when it came to religion. You know, my mum always said to me that it was just the lottery of life that I was born a Muslim, so she would say that this time was the best, but if I was born a Jew or a Christian, then she'd be saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, and... I'd had a long period of really grappling with faith. Um, I was really quite devout. I used to lead the call to prayer in my mosque. Okay. Um, I had to do an X Factor-style audition for that. It's <laughs> so genuinely genuinely true at the age of, like... <clears throat> I think, weirdly, a lot of religious singers need to be prepubescent. I think it just sounds better.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think I was, like, nine or ten. And the imams and some of the community leaders brought us into this room and made us audition to do the recitation of the call to prayer, which you might have heard if you've been to Turkey or Morocco. And uh, I did, I smashed it. <laughs> I absolutely smashed it. Three yeses. Alicia was crying. It was fucking amazing, right? But then Assad did it. Oh, poor Assad. Assad did it. There was a crack and he kind of forgot a bit of the prayer. Oh. And the imam told him that... And, Asad was, like, nine. And he told Assad that it was such an abomination from hell that even the devil would be embarrassed to accept him. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite a good roast, to be fair. It is, but I don't know. If it was such an abomination from hell, <laughs> the devil would be pleased to accept yeah, right? you, right? Yeah, right? Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it, it would be, have to be quite... It would have to be in the middle for the devil to be upset as right, well. Right,
1: precisely. Um... But then, yeah. So then, I I eventually got to a point where I was like, I don't really. I made a separation between God, the soul, and the body. I didn't think that God was that bothered about what I was eating and drinking. Um, I felt like that was a bit of a waste of His time, to be honest. And because I talk quite openly about it, it's a weird thing because I talk openly about not practicing Islam. A lot of Muslims are very angry with me, and will discount me. Well, they discount me as being Asian, actually, which is odd because Islam is quite a diverse faith group. Um, So that that happens. Um, And people will also feel like they can weirdly be Islamophobic because I don't practice anymore. That also doesn't work because people I love and care for deeply and a lot of Islamic philosophy I find beautiful. So I find myself as an outsider there too. Oh, my God, I'm such an outsider. (laughs) I should call one of my shows The Outsider or something. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I have kind of... I don't really practice Islam anymore.
0: No. But that's you know that's the same my Christ on the bike show was you know was me trying to work out why I was so obsessed still with Jesus even though I'd sort of given up on you know I I'd, I'd sort of turned my back on it really you know sort of eight or nine I was into it yeah. and then sort of thought this is crazy. It's so so would you say you're an atheist? I would say I'm an atheist but right. I but I'm an atheist who you know is quite obsessed with religion and because I'm like interested in history I'm interested in why religions have yeah. happened but but equally I still have that you know i still, even when I did Christ on the, Bike the first time, I still had like a little bit of discomfort at yeah even doing stuff that was you know in, in the end the show is about saying you know I think jesus is is pretty you know' is pretty cool and yeah. and 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 it makes more sense if he's a human being it's it's only impressive if he is a human being if he's yeah. a, if he's a god that's is sort of less impressive that he was things that whatever that religion came up with. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot to admire from it. And, you know, I think if you're brought up in a, in a faith, that it's sort of, even if you turn against it, it's, it's still yeah, within you, like, right?
1: It, even, even now, you know, my, my mum sadly passed away nine years ago. And I try and visit her grave, which is not far from my house, kind of every week. And when I stand by her grave, I will say prayers as I learned them as a child in Arabic. And they are Muslim prayers. And that's my way of connecting to my mum as opposed to this idea of Islam or God. Um, and, you know, my my primary kind of reason for leaving was I never believed in the idea of doing something good on earth with a view to a reward in an afterlife that I haven't fucking seen. Yeah. You know, that I've no idea that exists. And so when I've said this on other podcasts or other things, I've had Muslims say to me that I shouldn't, I shouldn't be allowed to even say those prayers. And, you know, that's my relationship with my dead mother you know and so the fact that so many people be it muslims or otherwise feel like they're able to cast judgment about how someone else chooses to live their life which is the world we seem to be living in be it about your political allegiances your gender identity your sexual identity i think is fucking stupid <laughs> just let people live the way they want to do you know what i mean i think it's just it doesn't matter what it is and so all this policing that goes on i just think is is really baffling and Thank you for the applause, but I did feel a bit like Nishkumar then. It made me sick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but is there an element of doing... You know, because most comedians would shy away from Islam and or just do a joke about... I would joke about the cram, but, you know, I don't want to be murdered or whatever, yeah, yeah. so is there, is that, you know, you've actually done it and you've actually done material yeah. about it? Is, yeah. is there? An, is, do you feel an element of danger to that? i had death threats. I had a guy yeah. turn up with a knife
1: at a gig. Did you? <laughs> a guy turned up, uh, he saw me at Backyard Comedy Club and uh, after the gig he walked up to me and I thought it was a fan. Um, and he walked up to me and he said, um, don't do that again. And I said, well, don't do what again? And he goes, don't, don't make jokes about Islam again. And I was like, well... Are you, are you my agent? I don't know, have you browned up? What's happened here? And he goes, uh, no, if you do that again, there'll be problems. I was like, all right. And then the next week he turned up in his stupid wisdom and decided to show me the knife that he was carrying. Okay. And I like a bit of attention. So I went on stage and told him to put the house lights up and said, oh, there's a man over there. He's carrying a knife. He wants to stab me. And the security came and grabbed him and got rid of him. Right. Um, I thought it was a really baller move from me. Um, so I'm very good at dealing with those situations that are tense like that. The first time, first time I was ever called the p-word, uh, age 24 at Dagenham Road Football Club, uh, I wrote an article for the Guardian and I smashed it. <laughs> and uh, that's very different to how my dad would have dealt with it, which is beating the shit out of him. So I, I yeah. So people have been angry. Even just this weekend, just this weekend, I had loads of faceless Muslim trolls uh, who told me that I was fat, ugly, and shit at comedy because I'm selling out my religion. And only one of those things is true. <laughs> and whichever one you thought, that's actually quite offensive. So <laughs> That's really unacceptable,
0: actually. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it, it's really interesting stuff, and it's, you know... It's, I think, like, being on, just because I've had situations where I'm on stage, and in real life, I would, you know, I'm not a brave person, I'm not a confrontational person, but I've been on stage, and I've done things that, it, you know, like, I've had a, I've talked about this before, but, like, in Older Shot, there was, like, basically oh, squaddies who'd, who'd come to see two Edinburgh previous One was John Oliver and Andy Zaltzman. Oh, right. Talking about politics, and mine was me talking about the Hercules Terrace, uh, the, the 12 tasks of Hercules. Yeah. Uh, and he, was, he, he went, oh, no, another fucking one when I came on. And then walk, he sort of walked out and he came onto stage, was nose to nose with me. Like, because it was just, you know, he was just stepped down and he was on th- And I was just, and I stayed completely calm and just carried on taking was the Was it piss slightly out. erotic? I don't think it was a. It might have been for him. Okay, um, of course. I don't think. I don't. <laughs> but I was absolutely. You know, I wasn't. You know, he was probably in the SAS or something. You know, he was like a. Yeah. You know, there were these are hard men. He could definitely have killed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, in a second, and I absolutely just like stood there and didn't. You know, and was as bold as anything. Whereas if that happened in real life, I would have completely run away. Well, that's better than what I did once.
1: (laughs) There was this one gig where a man jumped onto the stage similarly. Right. Um, He took Umbridge to a joke. This wasn't a Muslim person. It was just a drunk guy at the Piccadilly Comedy Club. And he jumped onto the stage with a view I presumed to attack me. This is how much of a private school education I had. I got the microphone and took a fencing position. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) And he grabbed the mic and the security guard took him off and i was like E-Shan, you're such an embarrassment to your east london roots
0: <laughs> such an embarrassment but there we go it's a very we know we're very brave people we are brave boys two <laughs> no, brave, brave boys very brave. <laughs> brave we'll smash you up bruv you get me <laughs> let me i'm going to ask you some emergency questions by all means um uh, I love. The, we sort of alluded this backstage a little bit but not really have you ever seen a ghost well, I haven't, but my
1: family members insist that there was a ghost um, in the house that I was taken to when I was born. Okay, That sounds like I was abducted. What I, <laughs> what I meant was the house I was born in. So basically, um, there was uh, numerous members of my family on my mum's side, they all uh, absolutely 100% believed that there was a, a spirit haunt, haunting the house. So when I was born, like the cradle would rock. And my mum would hear, like, steps going up and down. Uh, the, and, you know, my, my dad was at home and she was at home alone. And then my, my, da- my mum's... Uh, my uncle, basically, my mum's eldest brother, he came over to the UK to do, like, a master's in engineering or something. And he's a very... He's one of those people, because he does engineering, he just doesn't... He's very straight down the line. And he started moaning at my mum that every night someone was running around the stairs. Right. We eventually moved out and then we found out uh, some two months later, that two the two this the owner previous to the last one had killed himself in that house, and the reason the last owner left was because he believed that the spirit was still possessed. So, yeah. apparently, when I was a kid, I got pushed around by a ghost, <laughs> I never saw it. But there's also reports of like my mum said that when my grandfather passed away, he had in the window the moments before he died seen my eldest uncle, who was a, who was uh, executed by the Pakistani army during the war in 1971. This was in 1988. He'd seen him at the window, beckoning him. Right. And my grandfather walked to the window and said, I'll be with you in just a moment, went to his bed and told my mum, tell your mum to give me my tea later, and then passed away. Wow. So, it, it does happen apparently, but yeah. I don't know, maybe they were smoking something. <laughs> <laughs> I found my mum's uh, illegal stash of um, Bloody Mary ingredients after she died. <laughs> and I was like, what a woman. That's, that's great.
0: <laughs> Good. Well, that's, I'm, I'm scared and excited. <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate
1: the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Um, I mean, you know, the chances of this one paying off are small. Uh, Have you ever been (laughs) potholing? Have I been potholing? Potholing, yeah. What is potholing? It's when you go into, uh, if you're worried about your trousers, don't go (laughs) potholing. It's when you go into caves and sort of crawl around. Uh, Nish did it that's part of the reason I asked the question <laughs> yeah we're, we're an Asian WhatsApp group we're like can you do the whitest experiences just to fit in please
1: camping next
0: I've, um, I've never done it and, I've, and I used to work in Cheddar Caves where you could did go did you potholding. okay really yeah. no I've never never gone potholing and I don't think I ever wanted to any, any adventures within nature that you would partake no, well here's the thing In
1: my my wisdom, I have started dating a very middle-class white woman. (sighs) (laughs) And her family are very well-to-do, and her uncle's got a place in in the lakes in Coniston. It's all very lovely. Very nice. And they drag me along in the summers, and they go for these fucking walks with no purpose. (laughs) Just walking around, and... I don't know what it is with middle-class people absolutely fetishizing poverty. <laughs> they fucking love it. Like, if there's a walk, if there's a camping to do, if there's festivals with no fucking hygiene, they want to go. And it's, it's the one big aspect of my relationship that I absolutely detest. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> and so um, I, I have, in the last few years, taken to the odd walk. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's the cafe at the... They kind of. All of my girlfriend's family have said to me, "The reward is going to the cafe at the end of the walk." <laughs> and I'm like, "This is the bleakest cafe on the fucking planet." <laughs> like the salad is so old, and they serve salad, and it's just. <laughs> so, nature, nature, and I are, aren't natural bedfellows. No, I'd say. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I used to go to my um, great uncle's. Tea gardens, which he was gifted with. Well, actually his, his grandfather was gifted uh, for for services to the empire. He was knighted by the British Empire for service to the empire. And on it they said social work, but he was actually a spy. <laughs> what a turncoat. <laughs> he used to be like these Bengalis aren't paying tax. You want to fucking sort about out for you? And they got four tea gardens. Wow. So when I was a kid I used to go around these tea gardens and I'm a coffee drinker now, so.
0: Okay. <laughs> It sounds like you come from a pretty amazing family There's some heritage... Just there. my
1: mum's side. My dad's yeah. dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> my mum's side of the family are very highfalutin, interesting people.
0: Yeah.
1: My dad's side of the family are fine, you know. Um, nothing major to report. Oh, there is one thing.
0: Yeah.
1: I discovered this in the last six months, and honestly, I'm going to write a show about it one day. So basically... My, dad's the family. my dad is a very salt-of-the-earth immigrant story. He came to this country when he was 15, was a minicab driver, worked in a bakery, forklift driver, he's a paramedic now. He likes driving, clearly. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, that side of the family, yeah, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, he was, he was a carpenter and joiner. So nothing, you know, particularly major to write home about in that sense. And um, we were talking to my uncle, um, who has recently kind of found Islam again. He's a very religious man. Um, he'll refuse to come over to my house because we've got a dog. Uh, and he's found Islam again after having four affairs. Um, <laughs> but we won't talk about that. He was not going to listen to the podcast. Uh, so it's fine. <laughs> and um, we were talking about kind of the history of our family, kind of a who do you think you are thing. And I didn't know this. So you might be aware in the room, because you're a Richard Herring fans, you're very well-to-do, well-read, you'll be aware of the caste system. So in India, it's particularly big, the caste system. But in Pakistan, not really quite as big. But I'd learned that we do have a caste. Um, And my uncle said that no one in the family ever talks about the caste because it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing slight on the family. My great-great-great-grandfather on that side was so embarrassed that we were this caste, he wanted us to extricate ourselves from that caste and become carpenters and joiners. And I asked him, well, what's this caste? And he said, the caste is, they're called the Mirassis. I said, OK, what the Mirass is known for? And he said, well, they're known for being comedians and entertainers. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not joking. Apparently, there's a cast there, Mirassis, who share that same surname, who are comedians, entertainers, singers, who would basically go around to weddings and go around to the village and tell jokes and sing songs and people just throw money at them. And this idea of th- having money thrown at you just to entertain people at weddings was so embarrassing to my great-great-great-grandfather <laughs> that he wanted to extricate himself from any association with it. And four generations later, somehow, <laughs> here I've ended up. And I just think it's such a fascinating thing about how human beings and history kind of repeats itself.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so here I am as a comedian entertainer and, man, people throw a lot of fucking money on the way. <laughs> so...
0: throw money. And, basically, it's a shameful, terrible job. Yeah, it's your a shameful for Your family... My, my, my dad
1: was asked four weeks ago what I do for a living by some woman. Um, and he said, well, he used to be a banker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a long time ago, Dad. <laughs> so let's quickly talk about your, your new tour, which you're on tour now. You're, in fact... Come to Les Square Theatre for a couple of gigs. So, if anyone here wants to, get tickets. yes. So,
1: uh, uh, 28th of April is sold out, and uh, I've got another date on the 20th of May.
0: So, if you want to come to that, that'd yeah, be lovely. We'd love to see you. So, it's the pre- the Pretender. It's called, called the Pretender, yes. And, and what 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 can we expect from the Pretend?
1: Lots of good bants, like you've heard today. <laughs> Lots of nice fun stuff, and so people have been very nice to me. One thing that's been very interesting about going on tour it's my first ever tour, is I hadn't realised how many white fans I've got, and. I love it. I love you, people. <laughs> You're my favourite of all the races. <laughs> it's because you've got the money and the power, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 at uh, its heart, uh, it's, it's just a feel-good show. Just if it's about anything, it's about the fact that all of us present different versions of ourselves at all times. That's just what it is. And there's an extra layer of layer of interest because i'm an asian man who happens to be deaf who happens to be from a muslim background so i've had to pretend to fit in in all sorts of environments and i've got to the level of uh, of my life and age and maturity i guess where i feel like i don't have to anymore yeah. um people have really had a lovely time i got a very nice review in the times that was very good four stars and um people one thing i've got a lot from people is people have said to me that i've made them think about things in a way they hadn't really thought about before which is a lovely thing to hear from a comedy show when that wasn't really the intention. It's just the way I think. Yeah. And if it just so happens that the way I think resonates with people to the point where they go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe refugees are a bunch of assholes. You know, <laughs> I, just, I Don't think about that. <laughs> Honestly, my girlfriend's dad took some re- Ukrainian refugees in for six months. And within three weeks, he was a bit like, fuck me. <laughs> this is hard work, isn't it? But I've got to be nice to them because they're refugees. But they do no domestic work. <laughs> I don't think you take... the, the dishes will change a person. <laughs> if you don't do the dishes the way you're supposed to, people get angry.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're taking in refugees in the hope they'll do the washing up, though. Are you? But no, well, no, doing their own. Doing but, their own washing no, no. Up. But you, you kind of want like people to pull
1: their weight, even yeah. if they're refugees. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I do. No. Your like. audience fucking hates this bit. <laughs> they hate this
1: bit, Guardian reading fucking...
0: <laughs> my, my, my parents-in-law have taken it, taken refuge. Have they? It. Yeah, but they... White or brown? Brown, actually, mainly brown. Really? In fact, I think all brown. Really? Yeah. I'm so proud of them. That yeah. doesn't happen very often. I know. I think they wanted white ones, but... they. You We've know, <laughs> <they> got... <laughs> <laughs> we got... We got the B list for you. <laughs> you can't say we'll take him in. They go, oh, oh no! <laughs> I'm joking. He's great. I love there that. There are many things, but they're not <laughs> racist. I love that. That makes me
1: honestly really happy.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it is. But that's that's what was you know that was going on with uh, uh, John Barnes and Andrew Castle. I don't know if you saw that this, this the week we're recording. This is all the Gary Lineker stuff that's been going on. But he was John Barnes was saying how people are taking in Ukrainian refugees, but they won't take in Syrian refugees or, you know, whatever, or they're not... And your parents are always like, not us. <laughs> <our laughs> yeah. I haven't talked to them about it, but, you know, but it is that is interesting that uh, that there's been several wars and, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of refugees, apparently a billion a billion refugees trying to get in <laughs> who would come to the, the UK if it wasn't such a fucking horrible place to live. <laughs> So well done to the Tories for yeah. for making this an undesirable location, especially for anyone uh, from abroad. But there we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, good, kudos to your parents-in-law. Yeah, they're, they're they're amazing. What kind of what kind of brown do you know? Um, oh, been, there's been everything. Well, okay. my my mother-in-law, I don't know how much I can want she want me to talk about her life, but she was she came from quite a uh, disadvantaged background and and. Uh, had, there was a Sri Lankan family that she got very involved with, who she still sees, and actually one of her lodges, uh, one of the lodges in the house is uh, the, one of the people who are essentially seen as fa- uh, our, our family, even though they, you know, they, they were not related to us. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the latest guy—I don't know, I should know where they're from. Uh, the latest, Somewhere brown. The, la- the latest guy is a black guy. There, there was uh, there was there's been three or four okay. different guys.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: He's only got one, one leg, I think, the guy at the moment. So, you know, that's, that's what's... What did your parents and all do what, to him? Yeah, they just... <laughs> it, was the, it was like... We'll the... take you in, but... Before... Yeah. It was the... <laughs> he tried to get away. Yeah. <laughs> we might, uh, might have to take some of that out, Ben. Uh, so, um... Keep it in, Ben, keep it in. <laughs> might take some of that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's the... I, I wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> take i i wouldn't have i wouldn't have white black anything listen
1: I, i'm 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 from an asian family and what will happen is whoever no matter how lightly related they are to you they will come to the uk and they will set up camp in my family home <laughs> and be that well outstay their welcome yeah. they don't have that british sensibility of knowing there's a certain time that you have to leave they i'd want one, one um Distant family friend who lived with us for uh, sixteen months. Sixteen months, <laughs> and my mum, God bless, rest her soul, bless her, was so British about it. She just couldn't ask her to leave. <laughs> and uh, after sixteen months, um, my dad eventually had enough, and he wow. was like,
0: "Fuck off, please." <laughs> 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 Come on, on, that is true. I mean, I'd be saying, t- you know, I'm so. Cautious about outstaying my welcome, but like for five five minutes, I'm so I don't want to impose myself on anyone. How do the at any women you've
1: been with feel about that? Pardon? How do the women you've been with feel about that?
0: <laughs> That's okay. I think if they've agreed to a relationship, but <laughs> okay. I, I will stay. But it's you know, I feel, I feel I'm so nervous about that sort of stuff. The idea of staying at someone's house and and you know, not going, oh, is this okay? Just uh, yeah. absolutely, you know. But I've got I've got two kids and they're sort of refugees, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I guess they they're are. just some people who turned up and you've got yeah. to look after them. Do you, do you ever go, like, boating with them and just see how far
1: it can just keep going? <laughs> <It's> like, <whoop. laughs> and so when the brave they go, no, no, fuck
0: off, get back. I don't do that, no. I love, <laughs> I love them love them very dearly, except when I'm trying to kill them in my car. <laughs> just, let's, <laughs> take let's take all of us together. We can all go together. It'll all be fine. Might have to cut all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh We're What friends. a surprise. Ishan <laughs> Akbar gets cut. <laughs> So look, there's a a few things, you you know, because the comedy thing, like you say, there's loads of things that come out of this. Getting to be on Spitting Image, one of the voices on Spitting Image is pretty cool. Yeah, and I talk about this in the show. Right. When
1: Spitting Image came through as an opportunity, I was dead excited. And I talk about it in the show because I feel like the casting was very interesting. Because they called me up and they said, we'd like you to do some voices. Now, you've heard me speak for a while and you've probably gathered that I sound fairly English, I guess. Yeah. They asked me to do the voices of Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid, can you see a pattern? (laughs) (laughs) And Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Now, here's the thing. I'm not on screen. Uh, I'm just offering my voice. And I think I could just as well do those voices as I can at the time, say, a Dominic Raab Mm -hmm. or a Matt Hancock, whoever else. But... That felt like a real diversity hire, that we got a brown guy and the only voices he can do are the brown people. And it's a bit of a weird mix because we tell white people that they can't do brown or non-white voices. And this is something I also talk about in the show. I I completely and utterly disagree with that. I think that's nonsense to have that position. Um, So yeah, it, it was a nice opportunity, but it really taught me so much about how the world views... Me, but also an entertainer who happens to be from an ethnic minority in the UK. That the, I wouldn't call it the limits, but the opportunities for me need to be brown related. You know, the fact that my first presenting job on radio was on the Asian network. And then an Asian guy sacked me. What a surprise. Um, It just made it a very interesting thing. So it was lovely to do. And I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, My song, Dishy Rishi got loads of views on youtube (laughs) i'm to dish for this case to dish for this face i can't remember the rest um but yeah so i it was nice to do but yeah it was interesting that they asked me to just do those voices yeah when you don't see me and they wouldn't ask you to do rishi sunak for some inexplicable reason even though he's a billionaire from southampton let me do it do it hello
0: i'm rishi sunak (laughs) right I so wish he went. Hello, how are you, Sunak. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm the Chancellor. Now I'm the Prime Minister, and my mother-in-law hates my job. Why did you say camp? Oh, hi. <laughs> that would I mean that would have been quite <laughs> in a in swinging affair. I would have loved yeah, but it. I it's sort of it is, you know, but it, it comes to a point where act, you know, acting becomes, you know you can only be what you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is It is a sort of, you know, I, I can understand why they want to, you know, to, to discourage that in some ways or to encourage uh, ethnic people to play ethnic roles or gay people to play gay roles or trans people to play trans roles. But equally, it means that, you know, it stops being a job of acting and becomes a job of being, you know, we have to get you to be exactly what yeah. you are. I mean, again, I talk about this in the show, the biggest accent thing of recent years
1: was Apu from The Simpsons. Um, so I don't know if you know the story. Apu was a character on The Simpsons and uh, a comedian in America, Harry Kondabalu, was upset that Hank Azari, a white man, had been voicing this character. And I fundamentally disagreed with his position. Right. And this is part of the reason why I think people think I'm a bit of a sellout. But I disagreed with it because growing up, seeing a character on The Simpsons that, by the way, was his actual colour... Everybody, amongst all these yellow faces, there was this one brown character. He was a PhD. He owned a corner shop. It was very (laughs) on-brand. And they were like, oh, this white man did The Voice. What's the alternative? You say to an Indian man, we've written a character. He owns a corner shop. Can you talk, please? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And we get ourselves into these knots. And I just think, to me, it wasn't a problem that Hank Azaria did The Voice, because it's a comedy show, and you're going to ramp it up a bit. Sure, Um there might be some arguments that what he says, you know, he was like, hello, I'm, I'm running a corner shop. I'm fucking stupid. (laughs) Sure. That might be a problem, but that's not what was happening. And so we get ourselves into these knots and, you know, we, we can't have a debate or a conversation about representation. If we keep hammering home our differences to the point where we're beleaguered, non-whites are beleaguered. And you've got to make all the decisions because I, I just don't see it that way. And this is, might be my, my issue that I'm so anglicized, and I feel so English, that I see myself entirely as an equal. I've never seen myself as someone who needs the support of a scheme or of any kind, though I apply to every single one. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's this weird thing that we tell white people that you're like, if, if you're a white person and you've had friends from different races, I would be astounded if at some point in your friendship, you did not do your non-white friend's parents' accent back to them, because <laughs> that's what building friendship is. That's just what it is, and the intent with which you do it, I think, matters. So yeah, that bit was much more serious than I intended.
0: Yeah, it? no, it's well, look, it's it's an interesting thing, and I think it is. I mean, one would hope within a generation or two, it would be it would become a comical thing and a ridiculous thing. But that's you know that's the way you know that the reason that stuff that in the 90s would have been seen. As almost, you know, as progressive, probably we got a we got an Asian Indian yeah. character is now seen as being something different. But in twenty years' time, maybe the idea, you know, things that what, that what you're saying, going well, we're we're all equal. So why why are we worrying about it? Yeah, that's ideally where we're heading, right? But yeah, I think, yeah, But I think we're not there yet. I mean, you might be there, but yeah, maybe <laughs> but maybe not, would, not maybe not everyone, I'm ahead
1: of it? the curve. Maybe I'm a visionary. <laughs> maybe I'm better than everyone.
0: But maybe. it's you know, but. <laughs> these things are worth you know it's worth discussing and it's worth you know it, it, none of this none of this stuff should become like solid this is yeah. how it has to be yeah, yeah, forever yeah. and 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 it doesn't that's the thing the, yeah, the, yeah. that's why that's why all of these issues become contentious and why some people solidify their views and then go why are things changing i don't yeah, want things yeah. to change and then some people are you know pliable and things have to adjust with time and i mean i hope it, 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 you know i just sort of feel with out of all the stupid things in the world, racism is the absolutely most ridiculous thing. That you would hope by now, people just went, "Why? Why is that even? Yeah. A, why is that even a thing? It's fucking so ridiculous." But the one thing I will say in defence of
1: racism <laughs> is: <laughs> is if it gets solved too quickly, yeah, I might not have a career. Okay, that's true, and that's pretty important to me. Um, and I think, as you know. Yeah, but all jokes aside, of co- look, of course racism's bad. I don't, I don't want anybody here to be like, oh, don't thinks racism's all right. <laughs> we're going to punch a brown person on the way home. That's not how it works. Of course it's bad, but I think that I'm on the side, if we were to talk about this seriously, and not in my, as a comedian, I'm on the side where, actually, just being audacious enough as a non-white person to view myself as an equal and behave like an equal, I think, For me, that will make things much better, overall. Um, That doesn't stop me from, like I said, slightly facetiously applying from schemes that would help me. But fundamentally, I just see myself as an equal and the colour of my skin just doesn't... I don't see myself as beleaguered in any way. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know how I want to end that bit. I started becoming a brown supremacist rally there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Turning into, I love being Asian. I love being English, and I think they yeah. can both coexist equally, a hundred percent of the time, all the time.
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I would, one would hope so, and you yeah. know, one would hope that's the way the world is going to be. Yeah. Because it has, you know, but it has to be as well because it's not. Yeah, you know, barring just some horrible eugenicist coming in and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and sending everyone back to where they think they should be, which yeah, would be quite yeah. hard to do. Even yeah. if I've if got two boats to pick from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which one do you put me... Are there yeah. any Asians in tonight?
1: <laughs> Is- oh, there's one at the front. Hello, sir. Where's your family from? Um, bit by itself, a mixture. Bangladesh and? Bangladesh and India. Nice to see you. Palatine. I was born in Were you born? Oh, lovely. Well, thank you, my Bengali brother. (laughs) Are there any other Asians in? Let's see what Richard Herring's diversity...
0: I've got a very, very diverse group of IT, people who work in IT. Do you know what? I love... (laughs) Of of (laughs) virgins who work in IT, but they're from every (laughs) country in the world. Right, he's got
1: the lights up. Oh, there's one over there. Hello. Oh, (laughs) hello.
0: (laughs) Right, the Asians, we're
1: we're here, united. Shall we fucking get them? (laughs) Um... Some of them are? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, so, you know, it's an interesting point I can't try and sum that up because there's obviously not been mic- mic'd there. Yeah. But yeah, but the been saying that uh, not everyone's a rich banker and that
1: uh, I, I'm not a rich banker by the no. way. Okay, well
0: you worked yeah. as a banker but, yeah. Yeah. but uh, that like the, there's the danger that, you know, not everyone sees Asian people as equal. And so, that if you, by you voicing that stuff, yeah, it yeah. could, it could uh, you know, be used by the op- yeah. the opposing side. I, 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 that, that's not a... You're much more eloquent than that. So, so, sorry that I
1: didn't, that, didn't that, get that was a very good summary. Number one, this is why colonialism was such a cuss to fuck. Asians just turn on each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to have a nice time no, when he he's upset. Saying... But fair enough, I understand your point. But also, me saying this doesn't negate the fact that those truths exist. Sure. Me saying this doesn't exist doesn't change the fact that my dad was a minicab driver who was stabbed by the members of the national front three times in the course of his life those doesn't change the fact that when i went to the private school i went to i went on a scholarship as the poorest most asian kid me being a banker being the only asian man in a building of 600 staff those facts do not change uh me being homeless for two months and not being able to find support because the homeless charities i went to tended to be very white heavy and they didn't know what to do with me, because you don't really see Asian people very much. And the thing is, my saying these points doesn't negate the fact that all those truths exist, or the fact that there is things are tough for non-white people around the world. I cannot change that. And within the realms of what I do as a comedian, by having fun, having telling myself I have the audacity of equality, I feel like... I'm just doing my thing, and if people don't resonate with it, that's absolutely fine. I just want to get another conservatory, <laughs> and if people do resonate with it, that's great too. And whether it's problematic or not, that's also fine. We can't, we don't have to agree necessarily all of the time.
0: Of course, and you know, and I think the important thing is the issues are discussed. And yeah, you know, we weren't expecting to have uh, some questions from the floor, but. You did admit that, you know, you did agree that being fun... You know, humour is an important way of, of, yeah. of, of coping this subject. I think it was a very reasonable interjection, I have to say. Yeah. But, but yeah, absolutely, by talking about this stuff... And, you know, it's your personal experience. Yeah. And I think that... I, I understand what you're saying. And I think, you know, I think that that feeling of equality should be the feeling that everyone has. It isn't the feeling that everyone yeah, has. Yeah, of, of, of course it's But not. that's also something to, that we should be hoping will yeah. change. Yeah. So, you know, by talking about it... Even in a comedic way, I think you know it's it's a very to me it's interesting now the kind of scope that comedy has that it didn't have in the you know even in the eighties and nineties where and especially the eighties where everything was meant to be alternative and you know open there weren't many different kinds of voices there were kind of crazy people and there was you know it was a, it was a under it was a subculture but yeah. it wasn't a massively diverse culture. No, absolutely not. And now I think comedy is getting to a point where it's much more diverse and you're hearing voices from people. So to hear, like, routines from someone who's brought up as a Muslim, who's turned against Islam, or, you know, re- yeah. rejected, as, rejected it as a religion, um, you know, that's an interesting viewpoint. That's not going to be every Islamic... <laughs> no, of
1: course it's not. <laughs> so, of course yeah. not. And the internet, the internet democratises funny, and the internet democratises different opinions, and we have we are able to share those things, our perspectives, in those ways. Mm. And I have absolutely no desire to be a representative of any community, Uh, be it Asian people, Muslim people, fat people, deaf people. I can't do it. It's too much. I just want to have a nice time and hope that people resonate with it. And who knew that today's Rehala would get this fucking tense? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, what I would suggest is uh, that I ask you, which I do now know the answer to, because it came up backstage by accident. But um, I, I, without knowing the reasons, uh, I heard on a podcast you saying uh, that the first time you ejaculated was in front of your mother. Would you like to? Would you like to explain? Explain that. And this isn't the entire Asian experience. <laughs> Just to be clear, All Asian families are close. No. Um,
1: so what had happened is when I was 12 years old, I was uh, playing cricket, because obviously, and um, I couldn't feel my legs at one point, and it basically transpired that I'd experienced something called a testicular torsion, which is when your testicle wraps around itself into a knot. And I was... Uh, must be nice. Must be <laughs> nice. Yes. Well, <laughs> the doc- the doctor did say I was 90 minutes away from becoming the new Richard Herring. Uh, they were going to amputate it after 90 minutes. And um, I was just told to just kind of r- try and rub rub the torsion out. Um, just rub my testicle until it kind of unknotted. And I was 12 years old. And it was the first time I'd experienced an erection. Wow. Pretty, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And um, when... The nurse was getting, told me after about an hour and a half that she was going to get the operating theatre ready. She walked out, my mum walked in, my testicle unraveled and I ejaculated everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and has that had any uh, has that she, had uh, knock on to your adult sex life. Oh, yeah. Whenever,
1: <laughs> yeah, now whenever I come, I call out for my mum.
0: Uh,
1: she, at the time, she just wrapped her a hand around my shoulder and said, don't worry, son, this will happen again. I was like, fucking hope not. (laughs) This is not... This is not something I want to happen again. Please, mum. So, yeah, that was the first time. But you saved your testicle. I saved my testicle. I have two... Two
0: working testicles, Richard. Must must be nice. Coming in with your two testicles. Yeah. Um, And, well, look, there was plenty to talk to you about. There's lots of podcasts you've been involved in uh, here and there. Uh, I was listening to you... uh, and Darren, Darren, Darren Harriet, uh, Harriet in uh, Shame is delicious. Shame is which, delicious. Yeah, my which is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We talk about shame.
0: Yeah, I feel none. He feels plenty. So okay, we talk about that's that. That's good. Uh, and uh, was, uh, you worked with uh, Ben, our producer, on yep. uh, Panic Room.
1: Panic Room in uh, on for Audible with uh, John Robbins and Olga Cock, where we invented uh, situations that the world hasn't quite prepared itself for. Um, so you know, can we forage? Um, for a better, healthier lifestyle. What do we do about pensions? Uh, How do we get rid of old people? Um, (laughs) And so, Olga and I try to find solutions to those problems that John Robbins was worried about, so that's on Audible, you can check that out as well.
0: That's very good. And uh, the exciting news that I don't think you can talk about very much is you're in the fourth series of Sex Education, so you've got a a big acting job. I have got a big acting job. I am in
1: the fourth season of Sex Education uh, on Netflix. No one here was at all bothered by that information. <laughs> um, what was annoying is when I announced that that happened, the number of messages I got from my fans, apparently, and my friends asking me if I was a paedophile teacher, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I don't, do not give off a pedo vibe? <laughs> If you if it, if you if it was a pedo teacher, I'd have I'd have got it. That's <laughs> no, that's those are my roles. I don't roles. think I, yeah. I do I, I I I don't think I give up a pedo vibe. Nah, well, you know, all your friends and fans seem to think. <laughs> yeah, they, they seem do, to so think that's, so. That's not so to I thing. can I
1: can at least confirm that I'm not pet. Not playing a paedophile okay. teacher,
0: certainly not in this script. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they can edit it to make it look who, like who you look like you? Who knows are? what could happen? <laughs> this can, is in this post-production. Is, they'll turn you into one. this is. Yeah, this is Netflix. Anything could happen. So <laughs> it's
1: inexplicable that I'm in a Netflix show. I think it's absolutely
0: mind-bogglingly baffling that I'm doing a Netflix show. But I'll take the money. <laughs> and was acting something that you were interested in getting into, or is it? Is it? Not oh, particularly, I was. Just I'm just like very life. naturally
1: talented at stuff. I sound like <laughs> such a wanker, don't I? <laughs> Honestly, all the supporting actors I talked to, when they asked me, what drama school did you go to? And I said, I didn't. And then they said, what else have you been? And I said, I haven't. They were like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is your first role. I, what had happened is I'd gone for the audition, and in truth, I'd forgotten about the audition, right? Because I was so busy with gigs. I got to the audition, and I saw a couple of other comedians walking out, uh, uh, one Asian, one black, And I was like, okay, they're going for a specific thing here. And uh, I walked into... And there were loads of other um, people auditioning. They were all wearing tweed blazers. But I was wearing pretty much what I'm wearing now, which is like an overshirt and a T-shirt. And I was like, oh, fuck, I've really fucked this up. And then as we were walking, I said to the casting agent, oh, by the way, I've not read the script. I don't know it. I'm really sorry. She said, that's fine. So we did, like, three takes of each scene. Each scene in my head was getting worse and worse and worse. (laughs) Three weeks later, I'd forgotten about it. I called my agent and I said, listen, please get someone to teach me how to do auditions because I don't understand this. Three weeks later, I'm in Liverpool um, with the Have A Word podcast where I was playing the role of a head chef at a restaurant. My agent calls me and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm in Liverpool. And he goes, are you going to get hammered tonight? I said, yes, I'm in Liverpool. I'm going to get absolutely wasted. And he said, all right, well, try not to because tomorrow you have to go to Cardiff because you're in sex education, right? That's literally what happened. Wow. I turned up, my first day of filming, I met one of the guys I was doing a scene with. I asked him if he'd been on the show long. (laughs) He was Asa Butterfield. (laughs) Who was the lead in the whole fucking thing. And he thought I was taking the piss, and I honestly wasn't because I've not seen the show. And then... We really got on, and then at the end of the day, we followed each other on Instagram. I just kind of scrolled down. He had a picture of him on GQ magazine. I messaged him to say, can't believe you put your moon pig card up. That's jokes. And he said, no, that's the actual GQ magazine. I was like, all right. Then I scrolled up. I had 12,500 followers. He had 5.8 million. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm dealing with the big leagues now. So it was a, a crazy thing. The filming's done. It's coming out later in the year. I'm dead excited about it. Let's see Let's see how people take to it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of comedians have gone over to Hollywood, become big stars. Yeah. Apu. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think Apu needs to return. <laughs> and I'm more than happy to do it. Okay. With my white voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might give Apu a very white voice, actually. That'd but yeah, no. Good. So it's... Um, the fact that I'm doing a Netflix show and, like, even thinking about Hollywood is just ridiculous to me. But I'll... Uh, I'll keep riding this wave and just have a nice time, really.
0: That is good. It's you know, if you're enjoying it and it's I'm having a great all time. Happening.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm a man generally of a very happy disposition. Life life is hard and life is complicated, and I feel very blessed and lucky for all the opportunities that come my way. And just like everybody in this room and whoever's listening, we've all had our hardships, whatever they they're like. You know, I turned deaf in my mid twenties. I lost my mum very prematurely. I've had break. All sorts of things have happened, and The fact that I'm here now, um, talking to you, doing this. In November 2017, when I tried to do something very silly to myself, I could never have envisioned that this is what would happen. And so every single day, I count as a blessing. And whoever listens, even if you disagree with me, whatever it might be, I count as a blessing because it's been tricky at times. And this is amazing.
0: That's great to hear, man. It's uh, well, it's, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely, pleasure. Talk to about that, it's very interesting stuff. And the tour, uh, the Pretender, very funny. Four star review in the Times. Oh yes, thank you. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, please give out the amazing Ishan Akbar. Yeah. Akbar, thank you. <laughs> you have been listening to Relistable with me, Richard Herring, and my guest Ishan Akbar. Scout Brigade, provide the musical accompaniment to these titles, I'm indebted to my producer Ben Walker, thank you to Chris Evans not that one, thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre, everyone connected with Sky Potato and GoFasterStrike.com even George the incompetent town man it's been alright innit? it uh, come and see us live LeicesterSquareTheatre.com that's all I've got to say to you this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production, goodbye Thanks for listening. Do come and see me on tour. richardherring.com slash gigs is the easiest way to find out where I'm going. And gofastestripe.com. You can buy books and downloads. And just tell your friends about the podcast. If you can't make it to the tour show, if you don't want to buy any products, then every time you listen to an advert, you're helping us make more podcasts with a very, very tiny micro payment. So thank you very much for that. I love you all. It's lovely to meet you on tour, by the way. Hello to everyone who's said hello so far. I do come and say hello after the show if you if enjoyed it, if you want to see me. That'd be nice. You can get a selfie. I don't care. I'm a selfie whore. All right. See you soon.